0: This morning, I want us to take a look at a passage of Scripture, uh, Colossians chapter 1. So if you'll turn with me to Colossians chapter 1, and I'm going to be primarily looking at verses 9 through 14, so if you'll follow along as I read this text. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with with the knowledge of his will, and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May he be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Many of you know uh, the book of Colossians. Uh, it was a letter Paul wrote, uh, and this was to a young church. Young believers... Young church, Paul had never visited there personally. But you know there are a lot of dangers when you're young. Uh, When you're young, you're very vulnerable. Young in age, young in the Lord as well. And I can remember when I was both, uh, young in the Lord, young in age. Uh, I was age 18, well, 17 turning 18, at a high school, and the Lord graced me with salvation. I was at a boarding school By my choice, i had grown up in a home with godly parents uh, who taught me about Christ, the gospel. I made numerous decisions for Jesus, but I wasn't converted. Uh, I was a Christianized pagan. But it was getting up into the uh, teen years, and all I did was I lived for myself. I wanted only uh, my thoughts, uh, affections were only around myself. And those years, and that's how I knew I was not a believer. I was living um, for my own advantage. So I wanted to get away from the reflectors of the light of Christ, which were my parents. And I had an option to go to a boarding school in Asheville. And um, it was there that God, again, I was uh, exposed to the gospel, the seed that my parents planted. Uh, was watered, and God gave the increase, and I was converted. So I was a new believer, uh, 17, turning 18, and a lot of decisions to make, and uh, very confusing. I didn't know what God wanted. I didn't know what his will was for my life. Uh, I I mentioned this yesterday in the counseling conference that um, I didn't talk much to people. Uh, I was very shy, timid, introverted, I wanted to go into forestry, away from people, hide up in a tower and look for smoke. That was was my dream, uh, that I could maybe help the Lord take care of his general revelation. That was, uh, and uh, the Lord had other plans. I went to uh, college at Columbia. My dad taught there, so it was free, and he said, why don't you come here if you're going to go into forestry and get your gen ed? And uh, so I said, okay. Okay. It was there that I I was just gripped by the fact I needed more of the scriptures uh, to learn more what God has to say. But when I was uh, making these different decisions, I was confused. How How do you know what God wants? And a lot of things coming my way, opportunities, decisions to make. I had teachers, professors who would just say, just listen and God will tell you. And I listened. And I didn't, I didn't hear anything. Uh, they said things like, uh, he will speak in a still small voice. And I still didn't hear anything. Or look for open doors. But then one teacher said, open doors can lead to elevator shafts. And I just started talking, reading on the subject of God's will, which is part of the text here that we're going to be looking at. And I came across, and these are well-meaning believers, all kinds of ways that people try to figure out what is God's will for their life. And you may be here this morning trying to think the same thing. We've got decisions to make. We have issues, financial issues. We have school choices. We have just family issues, decisions after decisions. We make thousands of them every day, some of them weightier than others. But this one lady was trying to determine whether she was going to visit some friends in California. So while she was on her knees praying, she looked up at the digital clock and it read 747. And she thought that was the Lord telling her uh, that was a type of aircraft that was a go, get on the plane, unless it's united. (laughs) Sorry. Sorry. And so she shared it with her pastor, and he said, I must confess, I was not convinced. This was Jay Haddon Robinson. He said, I was not convinced. I would have been more impressed if the clock had read 767. (laughs) Some of you will get that later. (laughs) Then there's a book here on dieting for Christian women, and they're trying to figure out how much does God want me to weigh and how many calories to eat each day. And so they suggest a prayer. Father, in the name of Jesus, I need specific guidance and direction in my life right now regarding my eating habits. And they say, you can see that I need your help in losing the extra pounds on my body. Show me your will. Please speak to me. Show me how much weight you want me to lose. And don't look up at a digital clock at 747. (laughs) And show me how much you want me to weigh and how many calories I need to eat each day. Each day, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. Well, how, how is the Lord supposed to convey all of those different figures to uh, these ladies? No pun intended. But just how are all the numbers? How are they supposed to get these numbers? And then there was a, a guy, he, he couldn't decide whether to marry this, his girlfriend or not. And his pastor in the office suggested that the young man, uh, he read Joshua chapter 6, how Joshua walked around the city several times. And so he suggested that this young man walk around his girlfriend several times. And if the walls of her heart collapsed, then he could be sure God wanted him to take her for his wife. And he obeyed. He circled the girl several times and popped the question, have the walls of your heart tumbled? And she responded by saying she felt strange inside. Let me interpret that for you. Get up and run out of that office as fast as you can. And uh, so, because she felt strange inside, they concluded that her walls of her heart had collapsed, and so they made plans to wed. Notice there was no horn blowing. This couple was having tr- trouble all their married life, and it wasn't because of the horn. Now, this writer... He says, you can always tell about impressions, if they're from God or not, or from the Satan or not. He says, you can detect the devil by one of two things. The devil always talks loud. Jesus always talks low and tender. And so he says, when a spirit makes an impression on my mind, that impression can be made in a loud, boisterous way, or that conviction can come quietly, gently, and sweetly. So when the devil makes an impression on people's hearts, he says when he speaks to the soul, he speaks loudly. So it's a loud impression, soft impression, and people are all over the map on these kind of issues. And they make promise calendars and promise boxes where you take verses typically out of context and then claim them as promises. And so a person sent me a promise calendar, and one of the promises for March chapter March. 10th was from luke 4 7 it says if you worship me it will all be yours the promise of the day well if you think about luke 4 7 and who said that that was satan tempting jesus <laughs> if you worship me it will all be yours i don't think that's a pr- very good promise to claim for the day <laughs> but on a week ago uh individuals in church history uh and how they were trying to make decisions, missionary letters from conservative missionaries when they're trying to decide uh, which country to go to, how to serve. They write in their letters, I thought I would go um, be the best research scientist I could be here in the States, but God said, quote, no, I want you to serve me overseas, unquote. And as we prepared for the mission field, I thought we would serve in Asia, but God said, quote, no, I want you to serve me in Africa, unquote. And, and on and on through, the, and this conservative evangelical missionaries. And it just leaves people very confused on what is God's will. Well, we turn here to a young church facing a lot of decisions to make and a lot of teaching coming in to this young church. And I would like us to think through this morning of just how to pray for one another, it's not just because, I mean, I don't look at this church as a young church, but even no matter how old a church is, this prayer, inspired again by the Spirit of God, moved Paul to write down what he was praying because it's so biblical. And I would encourage us to be praying this prayer for one another and in your own life as well. So just a good, some background here again of this church, a very young church, mainly Gentiles, but a Jewish sector that was here in Colossae. So you have a Jewish uh, flavor going on in the congregation as well as with a large population of Gentiles. Uh, It was a young church again. Epaphras apparently was the founder, uh, taking the message of the gospel back to the city. Uh, He shows up uh, and informs Paul here in the first part of this chapter uh, some good things that are going on about uh, the believer's faith, about their hope, about their love. But there are some troubling things going on in this church as well. Uh, There were some people bringing in some teaching that was later, it's not full-blown here, but a century later, became known, known more as Gnosticism, It was a combination, this kind of teaching, the early form of it here, of a combination of Judaistic legalism and Greek philosophy. So you had Judaistic, from the the Judaizers coming in, and Greek philosophy. The Judaistic legalism is circumcision was needed to be saved as well. Self-imposed asceticism went way beyond Jewish laws. Dietary laws, and so in, even in this letter, things like do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, and they had to be followed in order to be saved. And then you had Greek philosophy, and this combination. The Greek philosophy was an emphasis on knowledge, and they had certain buzzwords, light, darkness, wisdom, mystery, and the term knowledge. Their Christian words, but had other meanings. And it became very, very twisted. They would claim visions, a lot of mysticism, and the discovery of secrets. And they believed that their knowledge was superior to the knowledge of Christ. And so it de emphasized who Christ was, that he was not fully deity. And so you have the next portion, I just finished there, verse 14, and it goes right in to a, one of the most profound sections in Scripture on the deity of Christ. So a young church, young believers, vulnerable to all kinds of teaching coming in. And so I want us to start here in verse 9, and we're going to look at this continual prayer that Paul and Timothy were praying and Epaphras joined in with them because he says here, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And so it's Paul and Timothy, as you can see in verse 1 of this chapter, and then Epaphras as well in chapter 4, verse 12, is also joining them, praying the same thing. And the petition... That we see here is the the request asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. I I like it when there's one petition. I have a hard time when people say, "I pray for this, 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 and this." I'm going to tell me just the first thing again. Uh, I have a hard time remembering a lot of numbers. Just give me one, and I think I can hang on to that one. So this is a good. Uh, Memory sake to remember this one petition that you would be filled with the knowledge, or actually full knowledge, of the will of God and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. This word "filled," a lot of you uh, you know this. The word "filled" is used various times uh, in the New Testament. It's used in Ephesians chapter five, verse 18, "Don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the spirit." In Romans 15:14, when he talked about all of the Roman believers, that they were full of goodness, they were filled with all knowledge, and then able or competent to instruct or counsel one another. This word filled means to be under the dominating control of. You're under the dominating control of something. So much so that there's no room for anything else to control you. Well, what should be controlling us is the full knowledge of God's revealed will. Colossians 3.16 The Spirit helps us here with saying, and above all these things, I'm sorry, verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Wow, to be filled with the knowledge of God's revealed will. That's pretty hard. The last research I looked at from Lifeway on church membership, they sent out surveys. This is what came back regularly attending members of a lot of their churches. I don't know how many surveys went out, but this was the research, the stats that came in about how many are in the Word of God, the revealed will of God, on a regular basis. Forty-five percent of the regularly attending members read their Bible more than once per week. Out of the 45% that read it more uh, more than once per week, only 20% read it every day. Over 40% of regular attending members read their Bible occasionally, maybe once or twice a month. And then 20% of regularly attending members never read their Bible. Now, if you think about those just... uh, the, the stats, the percentages, there's no way they're going to be under the dominating influence of God's revealed will. Not when it's once a month or never. Even once a day. God's word is not a time released capsule. You can't read one proverb in the morning and it just, is a, it just permeates you and in, sort of intoxicates you and dominate you the rest of the day, unless you are repeating it, meditating on it into your life. You think about those statistics, and then the social media, the computers, the TV, and entertainment. You think about hours and hours and hours of time there, possibly a few minutes, if at all, The word, and you will not have this word filled with the knowledge of God's will. And it's, I bring this up uh, not just to you, but to me as well. We must be immersing ourselves much more into the scriptures. If this word to be filled, dominated, under the dominating control of, the revealed will of God is to take place. Now, it's the knowledge of his will that we're to be dominated by, the full knowledge of his will. His will, there's only one will of God, but two aspects to it. You have his sovereign decree of will, which you can't know really ahead of time, unless it's in the form of prophecy in Scripture. The only way you know God's sovereign will uh, which uh, Shane read this morning from Isaiah. He declares the end from the beginning and everything in between. God is sovereign over all things. The only way you know that is looking backward. Looking backward, you see God's decreed will. Everything that's happened is part of his will and his plan. Uh, but he is not the author of evil, but he is superintending everything. Is decreed. Everything is working according to his plan and counsel. Providence is how he makes it happen. How he carries out his decreed will. And he does that. He moves circumstances and people to make sure what he has decreed, what he has planned happens. Oh, on the other hand, the other aspect of God's decreed, I mean of God's will is his preceptive will or the scriptures. That that's what is called, the moral will of God, the preceptive will of God or scripture. God's responsible for his decreed will. God gave us the revealed aspect of his will, but we're responsible to know, read, study, meditate, and follow this will. We don't need to know the decreed will of God ahead of time. He will take care of that perfectly. It's good, acceptable, and perfect. He, He will take care of that perfectly. This is the will that God wants us to be under the dominating control of here in this passage. And it's to be done in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And we're to be reading the Scripture so that we're looking for commands and principles to guide us in all of our decisions. We should be asking ourselves, what sayeth the Scripture? What does the Scripture say about the decisions that we're facing? But in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, that means it's spirit-produced and it consists in wisdom and understanding, to understand God's word more with the intent of applying it. One theologian, Dr. John Frame, says theology is application. If you don't apply theology, it's not good. It's what good is it for? You know, it's it's, theology is application. And so as we read, as we study, it's how do I apply this in my life, in my decision making? And that's wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied to a, a moral end. One commentator writes, God's spirit works immediately in and through his word. The Holy Spirit is uniquely related to the Bible. It's his book. He moved holy men to write it. Now that he has completed the process, he does not abandon the Bible, but uses it as the means by which he works in the lives of believers. We're celebrating the Reformation, or at least 500 years of the Reformation this year, and even looking back at whether it's John Calvin or Martin Luther, or the Westminster Confession of Faith, you keep hearing this go back to the revealed will of God, the scriptures. For example, in the Westminster Confession of Faith, the whole counsel of God concerning all things necessary for his own glory, man's salvation, faith and life, is either expressly set down in scripture, or by good and necessary consequence may be deduced from scripture, under which nothing at any time is to be added, whether by new revelations of the Spirit or traditions of men. John Calvin writes, It is the knowledge of the divine will, by which expression he rejects all inventions of men and all speculations foreign to the word of God. For his will is not to be sought anywhere else than in his word. Dr. MacArthur writes, let's begin with a simple assumption. Since God has a will for us, he must want us to know it. If so, then we could expect him to communicate it to us in the most obvious way. Well, how would that be? Through the Bible, his revelation. He writes, therefore, I believe that what one needs to know about the will of God is clearly revealed in the pages of the word of God. And just doing a quick glance at various passages on the will of God in the Old and New Testament, you just find there's nothing about going to try to find it. It's, it's more about doing it. Here it is, do it. Think of Psalm 143, verse 10. Teach me to do thy will. Matthew 12, 50, where the Lord said, Blessed are you when you do these things, and you do the will of my Father. In Hebrews 10 and Hebrews 13, about doing the will. Just over and over again, we need to do the will. We already have his will. And it's doing the study of what does God say about the decisions I'm I'm making so that we walk by faith according to Scripture. Now, the purpose of being under the dominating control of the full knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, the purpose of this, we see in verse 10, the very beginning of verse 10, so that so that you might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Well, that's a very practical purpose. God's will was meant to walk. God's will, his revealed will, was meant for us to walk according to it. It wasn't meant to be filed or shelved, but to walk that we would walk. It's a conduct of our daily life. I had a friend in seminary who said, uh, let's take a look at this word walk. And we just started looking up passages on the word walk. In the Old Testament, all the way into the New Testament, is a major theme uh, going through. Ever since the pre-incarnate Christ uh, created Adam and Eve, he walked with them in the garden. Enoch walked with God. In Hebrews, it doesn't say he walked with God. It said he pleased him. Really interesting. The Lord didn't take him because uh, Enoch's life pleased him. But back in Genesis, it says he walked with God. The word walk, just the Hebrew term walk, according to a commentator by Helpmeyer, He writes, walk is an expression of the intimate relationship between Yahweh and mankind. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of conduct, but it's personal. It's not an impersonal walk. It's a walk with God. And you see it walking, I mean, some of the different passages. You shall walk in all the way which the Lord your God has commanded you. Um. And first Kings, you shall not lack a man to sit on the throne of Israel, if only your sons take heed to their way, to walk before me. Psalm 128, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. And just walking all the way through the Old Testament. Then in the New Testament, Jesus walked with mankind there in the Gospels. And after that, pick up another term. If you're in Christ, then walk in a manner worthy of, of your calling. You see it in, uh, in the book of Romans, chapter 6, chapter 8, about walking in newness of life. Walking by faith in 2 Corinthians, chapter 5. Walking by the Spirit in Galatians, chapter 5. In Ephesians, walk in a manner worthy of your calling. 1 Thessalonians, on and on. Just walk, 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 walk. And then, even in Revelation, It talks about, uh, in the city there will be no need of the sun or of the uh, moon to shine upon it, for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. And the nations shall walk by its light. From beginning to end of Scripture, this theme of walking, of a personal, intimate uh, walk with the Lord in your conduct of life, If it's filled and dominated by the scriptures and you're meditating on them and into application, you'll be walking, your conduct of life will be walking in a manner that pleases the Lord. It's not about self-fulfillment, it's about pleasing the Lord. And Fox News uh, put out an article and said, this is the me generation for sure. But it's not about me, it's about Christ. It's about glorifying him. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, my chief ambition, whether alive or dead, is to be well-pleasing to him. And so that's another thing as we're praying, Lord, help me to be filled, dominated by your word. And God won't do that for you. He will help you get into his word. He will help you understand his word. He will help you apply his word. And when that takes place in your daily conduct, you'll be walking with the Lord in a manner worthy of Him, pleasing Him in every respect. Well, then we come to this developing Christ-like portrait. So what will my life look like if I'm in the Word, if I'm immersed in the Word That nothing else is controlling me. The Spirit of God taking his word, controlling me. I'm seeking to live obediently in a manner worthy of the Lord. What will my life look like? And here in verses 10 through 14, it's almost as if the Spirit takes brush strokes and uses these verbs that are ongoing. This is what's going to be happening. It's going to look like Christ. Your life will look more like Jesus. First of all, he says in chapter 10, I'm sorry, chapter 1, verse 10b, uh, uh, he says, bearing fruit in every good work. There's the first sort of a brush stroke. Your life will be consistent growth in the service of good deeds. You know, Chick fil A didn't come up with, may I serve you? Jesus came. Not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. We should be thinking on a, on a constant basis. How can I serve? I'm here to serve. Wherever you go, how can I serve? It's the practical care for others. These are the good works. The fruit. The practical care for other people. Don't When you hear needs of people, don't just say, well, I'll pray for you. How can I help you practically, help the weak, shoulder burdens? And your church has a great testimony for this. I mean, not just strong in the word and faith, but just caring and reaching out and uh, that intensive discipleship that takes place, I mean, from the pastors, elders on down. And I, comm- I just commend you for that. I mean, you, you all have a reputation, a good reputation, In that area. But you can always excel more. We can always excel more. So, this is bearing fruit practical care for others, sacrificial deeds of love. Witnessing is a good work. And discipling and counseling one another, as Romans 15 14 talks about. And so, again, it's just how can I serve? My my serving of other people will increase, I'll be bearing fruit in these areas of good deeds. Secondly, there is this consistent growth. This is uh, verse 10, uh, the last part of verse 10, where he says, An increasing in the knowledge of God. Increasing in the clear knowledge of God. I forget now it was uh, how it came up or whether it was in a song but it was a Jeremiah 9 about don't boast right not not the wise man boast in his wisdom not the uh, mighty man boast in his might or the rich man boast in his riches but let him who boasts boast in this that he knows me right he knows and understands me uh, and he says because I'm the lord uh, who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. And in these things I delight. Our quest, the more we're in the Scriptures, the more we're going to see the God of Scriptures. And the God of Scriptures has revealed himself. All the fullness of the Godhead it dwells in Christ uh, fully, as we read later on in this same chapter. We ought to have a zeal to get to know our God to get to know him and understand him. He delights in that. God delights in that, that we come to know him. And once, and we talked about this yesterday in the counseling conference. The more we get to know our God in the scriptures, as we immerse ourselves more and more in reading and studying, not just get to know the scripture, but the God of the scriptures. The more we become like him, the more we reverence him, the more we love him, the more we trust and obey him. You say, I just, I'm not trusting and obeying him as much as I, uh, I probably should. Well, reverse it. Just go backward, troubleshoot. How much time are you in the Scriptures? Are the Scriptures dominating uh, your mind? Are you being filled and under dominating control of the Scripture? If not, more likely you won't be trusting and obeying as much as you should. But we ought to be zealously seeking to know him. The Apostle Paul said in Philippians 3, Oh, that I may know him right, and, the, and experience the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And we know that we are knowing him. John, the Apostle John says in 1 John 2, 3, we know that we're knowing him when we're obeying his commandments. But we have to know his commandments to obey his commandments. You can just see this is all, this fruit is just flowing out of a walk that's being lived in a, way that, a manner that pleases the Lord because they're being d- under the dominating control of the revealed will of God. But really key in on that one, that's one that all of it fits together in getting to know our God. In John 5, he, there's a warning there, Jesus said to the leaders, he said, you search the scriptures, you think in them you're going to find eternal life, but it's those, the scriptures, that reveal me. So as we read the scriptures, we're wanting to get out to know our God, namely in the face and person of Jesus. The third uh, sort of an ongoing uh, manifestation here, part of a Christ-like portrait, is in verse 11. And it says, May you be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. So there'll be consistent growth in our spiritual strength. There'll be consistent growth in our spiritual strength. We'll be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. God will strengthen you. He will not obey for you, but he will strengthen you to obey. That's a good reminder uh, of the error, the teaching that permeates our country, and especially in the South. Is the let go, let God. You know, God will do everything for me. I'll just be passive, and God's going to change me. And so, all the what have you done about the issues in your life? I've just prayed about them. That God will just take it away and change me. God will not obey for you, but He will help you obey His word. He will help you understand His word. He will help you obey. But this is continued strength, and in two areas. First of all, for all endurance, and secondly, with patience, and do both of those with joy. Endurance, that word is used most often in the New Testament, is used for difficult times. When you're in difficult times, difficult circumstances, trials, just hard times, God will strengthen you to endure. To keep one step after another, keeping your focus on Christ and endure the trial. Endure the difficult times. Job did that. The Lord graced Job to go through difficult times. He endured. Secondly, patience is with difficult people. You go, well, I've been praying for patience. Well, have difficult people been showing up? You go, well, I live with difficult people. I am a difficult person. Patience is what God will strengthen you to, to hold up with difficult people. So you have difficult circumstances, difficult people, and here you're going to be stronger and stronger in your walk with the Lord when you're being under the dominating control of God's revealed will. It's so encouraging. You, you don't fall over when the, the first wind blows your way. You don't cave in. Uh, You don't collapse when there's a difficult person in your presence. You're getting stronger and stronger with God's strength, right? With his glorious might. And you do this not in a stoic manner, just grin and bear it. It says with joy. And your joy is not in the circumstance. Your joy is not in the other people. Your joy is in Christ. That's what helps you to keep everything in perspective. It's it's the Lord. It's all in the context of the gospel, this whole passage. And then fourthly here, that there is this giving of thanks. He moves on into verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so there's the consistent growth in our attitude of thanksgiving and light of the gospel. And he, he breaks it down, and we've, we've been blessed. I mean, anything above hell is a blessing, but to be blessed with salvation. Uh, full trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. He's blessed us with an inheritance. This, is, this fallen world is not all there is. There's heaven that awaits. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He goes on to say we've been delivered, saved, delivered out of darkness, the domain of darkness, and not just that, but transferred into the kingdom of his Son. And it it all rehearses right there. We should be the most thankful people on the face of the earth, if you're a Christian because of what God has done for us through the person of Jesus Christ. And then he moves from this section right into a treatise on the preeminence of Christ. He's fully man, fully God, and to keep him preeminent in our life. So as we kind of reflect back over this passage... Think about taking home. You go, boy, I want my life. I, I want to be bearing fruit in, in, in the area of good deeds and helping others and serving others. I, I want to know God more. Um, I, I want to be stronger in difficult times and, and hold up and, and be more godly with joy with difficult people. And I want to be more thankful. Well, how do I get there as a Christian? Well, you need to walk in a manner. Worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every respect. Well, how do I get that? By being under the dominating control, influence of God's revealed will, the Scriptures. Understanding and meditating in the Scriptures, uh, applying the Scriptures, the wisdom applied there for the glory of, of our Savior. As we go home today, I, I want to encourage you that you take this prayer uh, from Scripture and so become familiar with it that you can pray it for yourself and then pray it for one another in the body of Christ. That's what Paul and Timothy are doing, praying for a whole corporate group of people, of uh, believers. We can do that here at Faith Church that you pray it for the church. You pray it for yourself, you pray it for your family, you pray it for the church. And remember, you cannot be under the dominating control or filled with the knowledge, reading the Bible once a day or once a week or once a month. That won't happen. Ask yourself when you're facing decisions, as the Colossians were facing all kinds of Teaching and things coming their way, ask yourself, what does the Scripture say about this issue? Commands and principles, what does the Scripture say? Ask yourself, is my goal to please Jesus in this decision, or is it about pleasing me? And where we have failed and not doing these things, there is grace. There is forgiveness. There is the grace to repent. There is the grace to grow. There is much grace. And we need that. As Shane prayed earlier, there is much, much grace with our Savior. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for this time that we've just spent looking at your word This prayer has such application and relevancy to ourselves, to our families, to the church. We're being faced with so many different teachings, errant teachings, things that are almost right but are wrong. We're facing decisions every given day, some of them very weighty. And I pray that you would help us all But we know that you won't obey for us. So may we cooperate with your spirit, that we be filled, controlled, dominated by the full knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that we might walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, pleasing him in every respect, that we bear fruit in every good deed, that we would increase in the knowledge of you, that we'd be strengthened in difficult times and with difficult people, with joy, and that we would be thankful because of all that you've given to us through Jesus Christ. an Inheritance, you've delivered us from darkness. You've transferred us in the kingdom of your Son. And Lord, I pray if there's someone here this morning that is not trusted in Christ as their Lord and Savior, that that would be the decision to make today humbling oneself, putting oneself fully, trusting fully in Christ alone for their salvation. We pray this for your glory's sake. Amen.